See, that's a, an area code in Los Angeles. So, yeah. Seen it once, don't remember when. Think it's time to watch it again. Follow, subscribe, stay up to date. Episodes drop the last Friday. It's a man, it's a man, forgot that. It's a man, it's a man, forgot that. It's a man, it's a man, forgot that. And welcome to the Matt Forgot That Podcast, the place to recollect and reminisce. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to rewatch and review a movie or TV pilot that I've seen before but don't quite remember. It could be a blockbuster, critic's choice, or cult classic. To join in on the conversation, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed, or want to share your own trip down memory lane, use the hashtag MattForgotThat on social. Before we start, this is the final episode in Season 2 of the Matt Forgot That podcast, but fret not, it will be returning next year on Friday, January 24th. Until then, I hope everyone has a very happy new year. So as you normally do at the end of the year, you kind of take stock, and I wanted to give you my favorite reviews of this season, in no particular order. But we started off with a bang, figuratively and literally, with True Lies. The way James Cameron balanced action and comedy was absolutely perfect. The cast was great, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tom Arnold, all in peak form. Any blow-em-up action movie is good with me. But this one definitely had a little more depth, a little more story, a little more character development. Next is War Games. While this was made in the 80s, it doesn't have that prototypical 80s feel. Sure, the score is a little synthwave, and even though it stars Matthew Broderick, it doesn't have that same core that made Ferris Bueller's Day Off, The Breakfast Club, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Pretty in Pink, and I don't know if it's a correlation, but it just doesn't get talked about in the same way as other 80s movies, but I still think it deserves to be up there. And last is Miami Vice. Now, I know between the Matt Watch That and the Matt Forgot That podcasts, I've reviewed a good amount of series, and it's almost impossible to keep up with all of them, but Miami Vice is one that I've consistently continued to watch. Right now, I'm up to season two. It still doesn't feel like it's gotten to its peak episodes, all of the elements that made it a pop culture phenomenon, you could see it starting to bubble up, but it's not there just yet. So I look forward to watching the series evolve. So that's it, my favorite reviews of the season. Hit me up on social media with the movies and TV series that you enjoyed most using the hashtag MattForgotThat. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is skip it. Two stars watch at your own risk, three stars standard fare, four stars worth checking out, and five stars must see. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. In this episode of the podcast, I'm rewatching and reviewing L.A. Confidential from 1997. It was directed by Curtis Hansen, who helmed The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, The River Wild, Wonder Boys, and 8 Mile, 
He also directed the TV movie Too Big to Fail, which was nominated for 11 Primetime Emmy Awards. The screenplay was co-written by the director and Brian Helgeland, who scribed The Postman, Payback, A Knight's Tale, Mystic River, and Man on Fire. Together, they won the Academy Award for Best Writing, screenplay based on material previously produced or published for this movie. It was based on the novel of the same name by James Elroy, who wrote The Black Dahlia, The Big Nowhere, and Street Kings. L.A. Confidential stars Russell Crowe and Guy Pearce. At the time, the Australian duo were relatively unknown in the States, but the director fought for their roles. Hollywood heavyweight actors were cast in supporting parts as a bit of a security blanket. This included Kevin Spacey, Kim Basinger, James Cromwell, Danny DeVito, and David Strathairn. This is what I remember. I gotta be honest, I don't remember much about the movie, other than the iconic image of Kim Basinger, who was done up to resemble Veronica Lake. Now I'm heading off to watch the movie. This is what I forgot. Mickey Cohen, the seemingly untouchable head of organized crime in Los Angeles, gets arrested for non-payment of federal income tax, leading to 10 years in prison at McNeil Island. This creates a void for the motivated lawbreaker to pick up the mantle, which the LAPD is determined to discourage. Sergeant Edmund Exley is young and ambitious, following in the footsteps of his father, who was murdered on the job. Officer Bud White doesn't play by the books, and likes to take the law into his own hands. Literally. Sergeant Jack Vincennes is a narcotics detective, and consultant on popular police procedural, Badge of Honor. He has a symbiotic relationship with Sid Hudgens, purveyor of tabloid magazine Hush Hush. On Christmas night, during the police holiday party, a group of Mexicans are brought in under suspicion of assaulting fellow cops. Detective Sergeant Dick Stensland, partner of Bud White, and a group of officers visit their cell to teach a lesson to the alleged perpetrators. Exley attempts to stop them from taking liberties. White tries to calm down his partner, but gets involved in the melee, along with Vincennes. A newspaper photographer captures the incident, and the image ends up on the front pages. White is asked to testify against his partner, and when he refuses, he's dismissed from the job. Exley agrees to testify in exchange for a promotion to detective lieutenant. He suggests pushing out those with pensions and pinning the incident on Stetsland and White. When they need a corroborating witness, Vincennes is initially hesitant but hears an offer he can't refuse. In recent weeks, officers have been targeted and at the Night Owl coffee shop, Stetsland is murdered, leading Exley, White, and Vincennes to investigate uncovering a trove of scandal and corruption. Here's a quote without context. This is the City of Angels, and you haven't got any wings. L.A. Confidential is a slick movie, beautifully shot, skillfully acted, production values out the wazoo. It has all the heft of the Maltese Falcons and the Big Sleep, but for the modern audience. However, I thought the script was a little uneven, it felt like four segments of a police procedural stitched together versus an overall narrative picture. It also took 30 minutes to establish the characters and delve into the meat and potatoes of what the movie is actually about. Then you have Danny DeVito's character who served as the narrator early on, then disappears for about 40 minutes. 
It won an Academy Award for Best Writing, Screenplay Based on Material Previously Produced or Published. So who am I? And in that respect, it does keep you on your toes. You're not exactly sure what's going to happen next, so it's quite a suspenseful film. It just feels segmented. Now for a little trivial trivia. Russell Crowe initially turned down the film as he didn't believe he could convincingly portray such a tough character. L.A. Confidential was produced by Aaron Melchin, Michael Nathanielson, and Curtis Hansen. The film was shot in and around the Los Angeles area, including L.A. City Hall, the Frolic Room, Formosa Cafe, the Queen Mary, and Echo Park. The cinematography was captured by Dante Pignotti, whose filmography includes Manhunter, Beaches, The Last of the Mohicans, Heat, and was nominated for Best Cinematography for The Insider and this movie. It was edited by Peter Honus, who worked on Highlander, Rob Roy, Mercury Rising, The Fast and the Furious, and was nominated for Best Film Editing of this movie. The score was composed by Jerry Goldsmith. He has to be mentioned the most on my podcasts. We need to get a stinger for him. Alphonse! Alphonse! Write that down. He wrote the music for Planet of the Apes, Patton, Chinatown, Alien, Star Trek The Motion Picture, Poltergeist, Basic Instinct, and won an Academy Award for Best Music, Original Score for The Omen. The soundtrack featured songs by Johnny Mercer, Dean Martin, Bing Crosby, and Jackie Gleason. The runtime is 2 hours 18 minutes. It had a budget of $35 million and grossed $126 million at the box office. It was nominated for nine Oscars at the 1998 Academy Awards for Best Picture, Director, Writing, Cinematography, Art Direction, Set Direction, Sound, Film Editing, Music, Original Dramatic Score, and Actress in a Supporting Role. If it were any other year, it probably would have gotten a lot of Oscars, but found itself up against a little film called Titanic. On the Ski Index, I give it 4.24 stars. See, that's a, an area code in Los Angeles, so, yeah. If you've seen L.A. Confidential and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattForgotThat. Moving right along, each episode, I'm going to post throwback clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there'll be a playlist called Matt Forgot That playback. As usual, I found myself in the car, listening to 80s on 8, Sirius XM, and a song started to play that I haven't heard in many, many years. I was instantly transported back to 1988. This video was played on MTV and VH1 constantly, and what I loved most about it was all the animated characters that would sing background vocals. It is a silly, silly song. But that was the 80s. And that song? Get out of my dreams, get into my car. The performer, Billy Ocean, released his self-titled debut album in 1976, featuring the single Love Really Hurts Without You. It reached number 22 on the Billboard Hot 100. His sophomore album, City Limit, came four years later. Are You Ready and Stay the Night became big hits on the club scene and were later covered by LaToya Jackson. He followed that up with two more albums in 1981 and 1982. His major breakthrough, though, came with his fifth album, Suddenly. The first single was Caribbean Queen, No More Love on the Run. The song reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 and the Billboard Black Singles, and was a top ten hit in the UK. 
It was originally released under the title European Queen, but after it failed to chart, the record company suggested to re-record it for different parts of the world. This would lead to Caribbean Queen and African Queen. Both fared much better. The single was certified gold in the United States and would go on to win the Grammy Award for Best Male R&B Vocal Performance in 1985. A year later, his next album, Love Zone, included the single When the Going Gets Tough, The Tough Get Going, which was the theme from the film The Jewel of the Nile. The music video would feature the stars of the movie, Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, and Danny DeVito. It would peak at number two on the Billboard Hot 100 and reach number one in the UK. The follow-up single, There'll Be Sad Songs to Make You Cry, would top the Billboard Hot 100, Adult Contemporary, Hot R&B, Hip Hop Songs, and Top 100 Singles. In 1988, he released the album Tear Down These Walls, named after the line in the Ronald Reagan speech to Mr. Gorbachev. Its lead single, Get Out of My Dreams, Get Into My Car, reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 and Black Singles chart. It would be certified platinum by the RIAA. It was also featured in the two Corys film, License to Drive. Billy Ocean would release four more albums, the latest in 2020. So I've selected a couple of his biggest hits, which can all be found in the Matt Forgot That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a nostalgic movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about Inspector Gadget. Do 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 do. It was created by Bruno Bianchi, Andy Hayward, and Gene Shalopin. It tells the story of bumbling Augustine Tamaray, a cyborg police detective known as Inspector Gadget, for the various machines that activate when he says Go Go Gadget skates, or Go Go Gadget mallet or Go-Go Gadget Springs, and so on. It's basically RoboCop for kids. Each episode, he receives a message from Chief Quimby to stop the criminals of MAD, an acronym for Mean and Dirty, led by mastermind Dr. Claw. Throughout the investigation, he's covertly assisted by his 10-year-old niece Penny and their pet dog Brain. They inevitably help solve the case, but all the credit goes to the dim-witted Inspector Gadget. It stars Don Adams as the titular character who played Maxwell Smart in the sitcom Get Smart from 1965 to 1970. Dr. Claw was portrayed by Don Franks of La Femme Nikita fame and Frank Welker, prolific voice actor in Transformers, The Simpsons, Garfield, Scooby-Doo, The Jetsons, and many, many, many more. He also provides the sounds of Brain. Penny is performed by Cree Summer and Holly Berger. It also features Dan Hennessy, Maurice LaMarche, and Andy Goldberg. A television special, Inspector Gadget Saves Christmas, aired on NBC in 1992. It served as a series finale for the original series. Three spin-offs were produced, called Gadget Boy and Heather, Inspector Gadget's Field Trip, and Gadget and the Gadgetinis. A theatrical film starring Matthew Broderick was released in 1999 and earned $134 million at the box office. A direct-to-video sequel followed in 2003, with French Stewart taking over the main character, as well as two animated feature-length films, Inspector Gadget's Last Case and Inspector Gadget's Biggest Caper Ever. In 2011, a comic book animated in the style of the 1983 television show was produced by Viper Comics. 
a television series reboot streamed on Netflix in 2015, and it was announced that a live-action reboot was greenlit with Mikey Day and Streeter Sedell as screenwriters. The two best things about the original series was Dr. Claw, who you wouldn't see his face, but his voice was really deep and intimidating. And of course, who could forget the theme song? One of the best in television history. As an added bonus, I've included the Inspector Gadget theme in the Matt Forgot That playback playlist on YouTube. I've actually rewatched a couple of episodes, and it still holds up. The animation is really strong. I feel lucky because a lot of the animated shows that came up in the 80s just had a lot of style and substance. The original series was on for two seasons, 86 episodes from 1983 to 1985. That's all for this edition of Matt Forgot That. Thanks for listening to me reminisce. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed, or want to share your own trip down memory lane, use the hashtag MattForgotThat on social. Head over to mattsaroski.com for the latest news and updates, and come back next time for the rewatch and the review. Throughout the investigation, he's covertly assisted by his 10-year-old niece, Neef. The screenplay was co-written by the director and Brian Helgeland. Oh, wow. And it was announced that a live-action reboot was greenlit with Mikey Day and Steeter Stoves. Oh, boy.